So we do everything from supporting um, non like a nonprofit events to I know we've painted a bathroom uh, for one of the facilities. We've planted uh, flowers and trees, just whatever they need us to do. We're there for that support. That was from my conversation exploring the walk of life with PR and communications chair for Club Blue, the fourth Captain Springfield, and co-creator of the popular YouTube channel Mike and Gary, Michael Underland. Michael and I have a great conversation about the experience of becoming Captain Springfield and how that led him to get deeply involved in the Springfield community, as well as many nonprofit organizations. Michael also talks about his work with Club Blue and his experience with having a YouTube channel with tens of millions of views. As always, thank you to Misha Zarens for the music in today's show. Welcome to the Walk Show Podcast, Michael Underland. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing great, Walker. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for joining the show. Um, really, Michael, you and I were chatting a little bit before the, we started here. There's a lot that I want to talk about. Um, and as I you know, mentioned in the intro, you've got affiliations with some different... Um, is charity organization the right word or is charity a bad word at this point? Community no, outreach charity. organization? Okay, okay. I mean, nonprofit is nonprofit. usually what I say. There we go. There we go. I, I felt like charity was missing the mark, so thank you. Um, but anyway, you know, on this show, um, for a long time in the intro, I would promote Ozark's Food Harvest. Um, I think that they're a really great organization here in our, our local area. But you actually, um, a few years ago in 2019, I believe, were elected uh voted captain springfield here in springfield missouri which is in our local newspaper how does that actually work because i actually until you became captain springfield yeah. i didn't know about it and now i hear about it every year when it comes up and everything I, you're in the zone now you're, <laughs> yeah. you're in the fold. That's, that's how you know yeah i i hadn't heard of it i i heard when when matt simpson the first year it came out i heard something about it but I, again, you know, it was back, like, I think there, you know, that was like six years ago now. And then back in 2019, what had happened is one of the people that actually first taught me improv, they, one of my, my first improv instructors nominated me and the Springfield Newsleader runs it. And I talked to the the reporter that came up with the idea and he said that he was just in this meeting and leaving a meeting with a, a friend and they're talking about captain planet and, <laughs> and then he, he just said wow I, I really wish like springfield could just have a superhero that would be really cool and that and he's like i how about we just vote for a superhero i have that i have the power to do this <laughs> being a reporter and that's and when people ask me what 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 is that and I, the best explanation that I can usually give within a few sentences is it's kind of like if the, the city, you know, you're given the key to the city. This is what that's like if people voted on it. Right. And it's run by the Springfield News Leader. And it, it gets really kind of, the last few years, it's gotten kind of cutthroat. Like, people really want it. <laughs> Which is funny because everyone running is, like, this super nice, and again, I don't mean to flatter you or the others, but... 
everyone's like this really giving like community outreach yeah. oriented person so then that it's cutthroat at all is is ironic i guess <laughs> well there was um there was actual some uh, last year when brandy uh was nominated they found uh there was someone used like a bot to do fake votes and so they had to delete like it got it got heavy wow yeah and yeah i i never in a million years thought i it would happen to me and i think it really got elevated when the the cape when you were actually given a cape right to wear and now that's the official springfield flag it uses that that logo oh cool and i love the cape and i, I actually have my own now um and so that's the rules is is if you were captain you can have your own cape and uh I, yeah i guess like Typically, people that get voted in for Captain Springfield are community leaders, either like CEOs or like heads of nonprofit, I think like, or they're in the political realm. And I was the first person that didn't fit any of those. Right. I was those categories. I, when people, I, I've been introduced as captain and they're just like, so what, like, what makes you special? And I'm like, I don't know how to answer that question. Yeah. I just had a lot of friends that cared for me. I tell people that I'm the guy that people call when they need to move and I'll show up. Right. <laughs> which is rare. <laughs> which is a special kind of friend. And I, my girlfriend's constantly like, like, Oh my God, you're, you have to help so many of your friends do all these things. And I'm like, if, if someone asks me and they need my help, I'll do everything I can possible to help them. Include, include moving so right well so yeah so i mean like you said whenever you got got nominated and then and then voted to be kept become captain springfield you're not in a position where you're a you know running a company or running a nonprofit or something but pretty quickly being because you, be, you were captain springfield you started being around a lot of people that kind of pushed you in that direction is that is that correct yeah i mean so I'll, I'll kind of tell you the road that took me down. Uh, it didn't happen immediately. I I remember I won, I, like, fr- there was a Friday in August, and I remember I just didn't even look at any social media the day, the morning of. I just was like, because it kept being like 49 to 50%. It was within 1% or 2% of me and the, and, and the competitor. And I, I really honestly wanted – the other person to win at some like part of me, but I also wanted to give it my all as well. And then that morning I didn't, I shut out everything. And then my coworker said, you won dude. Like I've, I've been checking all morning. You, you are, you have a solid like 2% lead and it's 9am. And I was like, I, I just, I need to, fo- I just focused on my work. Right. And then, uh, Steven Herzog, who's the reporter who ran it, uh, message, he sent me a friend request and that's how I knew I'd won is that he sent me the friend request. I accepted it. And then, you know, they sent me a whole thing about like, give this your life story. Like this needs, this article needs to be out by 2 PM. Like, and I'm like, okay, how, how am I different from everybody else? What are my abilities? What, what do I stand for? Because I don't, I'm not the head of a nonprofit. I don't have one singular thing I'm, I'm about. And 
So that weekend was a lot of soul searching. Like, what do I do? How do I handle? I'm given the tool, this tool of this Twitter account that a lot of people, a lot of important people follow. And so I ended up, so my competitor was a lead competitor. We were down to two people. It was uh, Tony Robinson. Mm. And I really, um, they are like the president of the NAACP. They're also involved in, in like, the LGBTQ uh, community. And so pretty much I, I started to research the things that they um, were important to them. And I ran across a video where Tony was a guest on uh, this Glow Center live stream the week of when it was like down to the final four. And they and a, a person named Nan Todd who uh, was working for the Glow Center at the time, just said, like, we really want Tony to win because this is a platform where we can promote the Glow Center and these marginalized, you know, marginalized group of people. And we would love, we would absolutely love to, to have this title. And, you know, it, that meant, like watching this, live stream really spoke to me and I mm. took it to heart. I really took it to heart. And like, I've, I'm friends with Nan Todd and I, I tell Nan to this day, I'm like, you, the, the things that like that interview is what led me down the path I'm on where I, I literally was like, I looked up every nonprofit in town I did a lot of research, went to their website, looked at, like, talked if I happen to know someone in the nonprofit. I just did. I wanted to map it out. I wanted to. And I've been involved here and there, but nothing like I am now. I had no idea about the world, the nonprofit world and what it is and how many great organizations there are in this town. Mm -hmm. So many amazing people. And so I made spreadsheets. I had these spreadsheets about, like, and what the most important ones to me personally, and like, and and so uh, I reached out to the Glow Center. I reached out to Tony and said, "Whatever." And and also uh, Daniel Oganyemi, uh, he was also in the final four. And I was, I also reached out to him and said, and he worked for Casa Casa at the time. And I said, "Whatever important thing you want to promote, you just tell me. Just." I, you know, I'll retweet it. I'll share it. Whatever you want. I I really want to promote the things that are important to you. And I went and everything that I shared on the Twitter, I mean, at least once a week, I would share something from the Glow Center or like the Black Tie organization that um, there's there's a lot of organizations out there, but I wanted to focus a lot on organizations that promoted marginalized groups, um, the LGB community. And I, I felt I, I at least showed some people a world outside of their, uh, their smaller world that they're in. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, so yeah, it sounds, it's really interesting. And I actually didn't, didn't understand that chain of events um, previously. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's like you're you're given this, um, as you put it, this tool, this platform, this this opportunity. And obviously you could just, you know, 
post memes or something, right? And no one could stop you because sure. <laughs> you won. <laughs> um, but 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 you you actually kind of found the weight of it to be pretty serious, and so your response to that is to really do some soul searching, as you put it, and find how can I use this to to the best effect. And then that led you to collaborating with other people who, I guess, that election year you weren't as cutthroat with. You didn't fake <laughs> fake votes against them or anything. Um, <laughs> so you guys, yeah, are I, um, which I, I think yeah. is super awesome. Well, thank you. I, you know, really, my last week as captain, I had so many people that I, I didn't really know who they were, but I would call them community leaders and just tell. They told me that I. I really showed them things that they had never known. Like I did a spotlight. Typically every week I would do like a community spotlight. Uh, I know there's a, there's a local kombucha place and a brewery that brews their own kombucha. And I kind of reached out to the owner of that and learned about that to promote because, because just that alone, I have a friend who uh, they're recover They're in recovery. You know, you're always in recovery and being around alcohol was hard for them and having that like local kombucha if any brewery offered that that was just an instant like i like they fit right in they don't feel weird being around right. you know drinkers and things like that just really inspire me to reach out to those people because i want to promote them like they do really awesome work and so I, I really tried to cover all the different bases of what was important to me and to show sides of Springfield that most people probably don't see on a daily basis. And a lot of smaller nonprofits just don't have the marketing budget to yep. really promote themselves. Like Harmony, you know, Harmony House and all these great places that do like truly help people, but just you know, they can't really like versus like a place like O'Reilly, you know, automotive, they just don't have that kind of marketing budget. Yeah. You know, it's something that, um, that's really at the risk of having the most cliched conversation or, or at least starting point of a conversation in the world of social media, um, is how I'll begin it. But what I mean by the, what I, what I'm trying to get to is that like, and it's not just because of social media, because you and I are both, we predate social media and my life was not wildly different prior to then. Um, sure. But like, I, I came to understand in the last, I don't know, year or two, um, maybe a little bit more than that, but whatever, last few years that I've just always had this very, um, I just have a pretty privileged life and I'm not. I'm not like super wealthy. I don't, you know, I don't have a brand new car or something. I've, I've never been skiing. I've seen the ocean once on a work trip. So it's not that I live this like high flying lifestyle or something, but at the same time, uh, I just, I, I just have been really, really fortunate, you know, in, in, in a lot of ways. And most of my friends lead similar lives. And most of us came from backgrounds where, again, we weren't all like, super wealthy when we grew up, but we grew sure. up in households with parents that loved us where mm -hmm. we always felt safe. Right. And like, sure. It's so easy to take that for granted when that's just the norm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then you find yeah. out that there's people that 
don't even have anything approaching that experience anyway. And, sure. and so it, it just kind of dawned on me that like, and I, I'm going to, I'm going to say my friends and that's not fair. Cause it's really my own conclusion, but I came yeah. to realize that I live in like this almost like TV show life where I know about like, uh, the boys and girls club or something, right? Like I know there's disadvantaged kids. I went to the boys and girls club when I grew up, right? Me too. So did I, I, I went boxing there and, and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's like, I already, I know about these things, but they're not really a part of my actual personal experience. And so it's really easy to just be like, yeah, that's unfortunate. I, I'm going to know now go back to my regular life. And I know this is such a rambly kind of thing that I'm on. It's it's because I don't know really how to say it exactly, but it's like, I don't know. It just kind of hit me with the last few years. Like I said, that it's like, Oh, I live in a TV show where everything is just kind of okay all the time. And the worst inconveniences I have are like someone irritated me in a parking lot or at the, sure. in the line at the store, sure. you know, something stupid. I, I got in some argument on uh, the comment <laughs> section of a newsy yeah. article or something. Yeah. Right. And that and really it, miffed me. Yeah, exactly. Exa the problems I have, I could describe by saying I was miffed, which means it's probably not that big of a deal if miffed is the most yeah. dramatic language that you could use to describe it, right? Um. Anyway, and so it's just like, I don't, I, I feel like there's like this, like awakening that needs to happen. Myself included. I don't mean like I am now awakened and I will now show everyone. That's not my point. But like, I just feel like there's an opportunity to do so much more. And I didn't think about it for myself until really recently. And, and for you, it doesn't sound like it really hit home until this Captain Springfield thing happened. Does what I'm saying make any sense or am I just a yeah, I, rambling person? I think, I think we all... <laughs> I think we all want we we all have great intentions. I'm like someday I'm gonna do this. Someday I'm gonna I'm going to do that when I find the time. And Captain Springfield is great. And I told I told Stephen Herzog this. If if I won Captain Springfield and I was just always captain for the rest of my life, I'd probably be like, well, I could get that. I'll get to that next week or next year. But when you're captain, you're captain for you have that Twitter that Twitter account with those leaders following it, you have it one year, you have it just one year. So it really lit a fire under me to be like, how am I going to use this to, to benefit? Like which groups of people is this going to benefit? And I, because I didn't want to just squander it. You know, I I've always been, been involved in the arts and I, you know, I promoted the Springfield regional arts council, uh, you know, Anything like the Springfield Little Theater, Springfield Improv, anything that I was involved in in the arts, I really wanted to to let that shine. Uh, but at the same time, I really there's some really amazing charity uh, nonprofit groups out there, like like Casa, uh, yeah. like Boys and Girls Club, like like the Glow Center that just help people. They help people in need. Yeah, and. I was shocked how many of my friends didn't really know what any of those things did, but neither did I. Like I knew of them, but to say I'm going to donate my time this many hours per week of doing, of helping these organizations, it takes commitment. And I definitely think the captain Springfield uh, contest lit, lit me my fire. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And well, and it's interesting. So do you feel, have you seen now that you have for a few years now kind of shifted a lot more of your time to these community outreach and, and nonprofit kind of causes, do you find that that is resonating in your social circle more? Yeah, I've, I've definitely had fr- various friends start to uh, show up to like, for example, Club Blue, which is a young professionals group I'm in, Benefits Boys and Girls Club. And uh, yes, I, I do have friends who, if nothing else, they'll at least come to some of these non-pro- these charity balls, these, these big events that uh, they do a lot of fundraising and help me out in, in some ways. I mean, you example... For example, I met you probably, what, like two years ago around? Probably there? around there, yeah. And I didn't really know I, your involvement in some of these organizations. And I'm not I'm not sure, you know, we had lots of conversations about what, what my passions were. And so. Yeah, well, <laughs> so, well, I mean, to be perfectly candid, um, I was, I, I was talking about wanting to get involved with something um, that benefits children um obviously there are a lot of groups like like you've hit on you know ozarks food harvest is is another group that i think does a lot of good um so i don't mean to imply that only children are deserving of of help Uh, grown-up people also deserve sympathy (laughs) and empathy and help and, and those sorts of things but when it comes to children it's like it's literally never their fault like it's impossible that they made any choice that put them there because they're kids um and so I was talking with my sister actually about it and she mentioned Casa and that was the first time I'd ever heard of it. Yeah. But I didn't really understand. And, and, and it was just a, a brief conversation and I just kind of put it in the back of my mind and, and that was it. And then it was probably, I don't know, three or four weeks later, I ran into you at a mutual friend's house and um, said kind of the same thing that I just did about wanting to be involved with something. And you brought up Casa. Yes. Um, and it was actually right after that is when I, signed up to, to start volunteering with them. Um, so yeah, I mean, directly <laughs> you and I aren't like super close friends, not around each other all sure. the time, but in your sure. indirect social circle definitely was influenced um, by your conversation with me. So <laughs> I, I think it, you know, uh, when you're happy, it, it influences uh, people want to be happy. And when they see the type of things that I promote, on social media and they, they see how happy I am. I think they want to be a part of that. Yeah. And I, I really hope that the things that I did, you know, yeah, I was, I tell people I was captain Springfield for a year, but it's just one year. I have the rest of my life to be Michael Underland and to help out any way I can. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I don't mean to overemphasize the Captain Springfield portion of it at all. I just understood that was kind of your doorway into yeah. to to the work that you, to your point, continue Very to do much. now and, and have continued to do. Um, I, I guess and and like I, I, I had this thought, I don't know, a few days ago, maybe or so and realized how old it made me sound <laughs> like I'm finally <laughs> I say finally, I've probably been out of touch for quite some time, but I'm definitely the out of touch old guy now because I was like, the thought I had was like, how do you make it cool to volunteer? And it's like, it's not by asking that question. (laughs) (laughs) No one, no one above 35 has ever approached anyone under that age and been like, Hey guys, guess what's cool now. That's not how it goes. But really it's like on social media, you know, 
people post every time they get a haircut and people post when they get a latte and like all this trivial yeah. stuff. And to be clear, my point here is not to be mad at that. That's fine. But like, could it also be cool to post like, hey, I donated to this cause today or hey, I volunteered an hour or three hours or whatever it is at this cause. Absolutely. And I almost like I know for myself, though, I could post like I can post a picture of my dog and I feel great about it. But if I posted a like when I posted when I completed CASA training, I felt really uncomfortable about it because yeah. I, I, I fear that it looks like virtue signaling. Like it looks like I'm trying to get praise. And it's like, no, the point of this is not for you to tell me good job. It's mm -hmm. to say like, hey, did you know about this? And like, maybe yes. you would be interested. You know what I mean? Yes. But I don't know how to shift that perspective if that makes any sense especially during during the whole captain springfield year i felt the virtual signaling thing all the time and <laughs> yeah. i had to constantly remind myself like you're doing this to help the you know to, to help this yeah organization to help these people and this this cape and all this really seems to like resonate with people and it's about identity about springfield identity and yeah, and I, I really like tried to, for example, like when there was a lot of local businesses struggling, uh, I found like a, there was a list together of like black owned bu businesses that you could support, uh, like, you know, and, and like posting things like that. And people like, I had no idea, like, like the, you know, XYZ places were owned, you know, by these people and i hopefully like i wanted to keep these these businesses in business yeah it's important to me uh like big mama's downtown i go to all the time uh but yeah it's it's hard when to, you say like well am i just bragging about something it's like versus hey this is a really great thing like you you will help these people. You will feel good about doing it. I'm doing it too. Yeah, it, I, I think it, I, and maybe, you know, again, it, it's so common for me at least to to project my own <laughs> thoughts onto like, well, society is this way or the general you. And really I'm saying me, but I don't know if it's a cynicism of society or if it's just my own cynicism, but it's like when I post pictures of my dog, I don't, I don't think that other people are going to be like, oh, he's just... Oh, his dog has a raincoat. He's he's so fancy. Like, you know what I mean? I don't think they're going to interpret it that way. Yeah. So why am I so cynical that I think that that's how they interpret a Casa post or, or something? And and again, maybe uh, you know, maybe it's not just my own cynicism, and that's is kind of the the, the current culture. Um, and again, not that you're supposed to have the answer to how do we solve that, but just I don't know. I feel like it's something that if we can crack that nut, maybe we could really make real progress with some of these things you know i i honestly think the youngest generation like gen z mm -hmm. I, I think they're having a much easier time understanding this whole thing and i mm -hmm. think that they would be much more approachable to donate their time and you know effort or whatever they have to these nonprofits. i could be wrong but it just seems like this newest generation just cares more and i hope that this stays this it keeps yeah it keeps rolling so right uh you know as far as like just caring about marginalized groups and proper pronouns and all these things that's very important to them versus some 
some older generations that this ha they had other things that were important to them. Part of the reason that I think it's interesting to hear your thoughts on this is because, you know, you have a unique perspective on what it is to build digital content and what it is to to do marketing. I mean, I, I don't know if you still do it professionally. I, I, you do for Club Blue. <laughs> so, so well, yeah, I mean, that yeah. You, you professionally market things. Um, and, and then you also are a part of the wildly successful Mike and Gary YouTube channel that's been going yes. on since 2010. Um, yes. So I, I'm curious to shifting gears a little bit, but to talk sure. about that, how did you build? I mean, because I, I checked today and you're, mm -hmm. I think it's 80,000 subscribers or something. I don't know. It's some enormous yeah. number of subscribers. I, I don't even check. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bringing that up is just to dim just to let the audience know in case they're not familiar. Like this is not, it's not the walk show. Like there's, there's a real audience <laughs> with Mike and Gary. <laughs> How did you build yeah. that? How did you go? How did sure. that come about? Because that's not common. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll, uh, I'll start with, you know, I, I've always been interested in video production. I have a minor in it from Missouri State. And I did, I did a few things here and there. But what happened is I met a guy named Gary Sievers, who was incredibly gifted with like design and graphics. And he he's just really talented but he didn't know the video side of it and we kind of came together and he's hilarious and so we created a group this is this really dates me so our first videos that we collaborated with collaborated with went on uh myspace <laughs> nice and uh we figured out if uh we just emailed them we're like hey we just did this silly video and it was like a burger king it was, it was like showing how creepy the burger king king guy is did a parody on that and instantly like that night it suddenly like i remember the very first viral thing i ever did gary calls me he's like whoa did you realize that that video has a hundred thousand views right now and i'm like what And he's like it's going up like a thousand views every minute and i'm like oh my gosh what is happening and we we're trying to figure out like why this video on MySpace is just like blowing up. And it was like, he's like, oh my gosh, it's on the front page. Like one of my friends just messaged me and it is on the front page of MySpace. Because I guess they, they used to feature like three videos of the day. Ah. And we just, everyone in, it had anything to do with the video. We got together and just had a little impromptu party on like a Tuesday night. And 
I'll tell you, no matter how many viral video thing, like different aspects or things I've been involved with that have gone viral, nothing made me more happy than that first video and how much fun we all had just it was like the sky was the limit we're like if we were able to do this just think about what we're able to do <laughs> look out <And> spielberg <laughs> yeah we ended up we ended up getting like three or four videos on the front page of myspace and did pretty well but at, at the end it's still myspace and so we knew we really had to we we thought about making a run on youtube and by then the group kind of just broke up there was like eight or ten people in it and everybody had their own idea of like there's no clear leader. Uh, Gary and I did the production side of it, and it just kind of broke up. And then another about like year went by, and I went through a lot of difficult things in my life in late 2000, late 2009. I uh, got a divorce, mm-hmm. and honestly, Mike and Gary came about because Gary was trying to get me to like get out and do stuff, and he's like, "Let's make a video. Let's do." Let's make a new video. So we did a Four Loco parody because like Four Loco was being banned. So we did a fun Five Loco <laughs> and fake commercial and did it with his dad. Like I didn't have any really good video equipment at the time. We did it with his dad's Sony Handycam. <laughs> and he was about to upload it. He's like, what, what do I, I'm creating this YouTube channel. What do I even call it? And I'm like, I don't know. Who cares? I just said, like, I don't know, Mike Gary. I, and and so, like, the very first video was just called, my, you know, by Mike Gary. And then very quickly, we added the in in the middle. And from then on, we, we just started doing videos just to keep me busy and just to have fun. I was just a really in a kind of bad place that year. And then we did a, a parody on a video game that I really, really love called Half-Life. Mm-hmm. And that was the v- first Mike and Gary video that blew up and got on Kutaku and 1UP and all, all the like gamer wow. sites. And uh, that's how we found our niche. It was just like doing live action parodies of popular video games that we, that we enjoyed. Hmm. And we did it for... On a regular basis, on and off for about eight years before I started taking like big breaks where I just, you do something for so long and, and still have a full-time job. Right. <laughs> but it was nice. Like I was actually getting income and we, I, you know, me and Gary split it, shared it with people. We actually had budget for props. Our, our videos got more elaborate. Then one day uh, I got an email from Nintendo of America. <laughs> <laughs> Always friendly. <laughs> yes, always friendly. And it actually was. They wanted us to help them promote their Wii U system. Oh. And we we got the system before it came out publicly. And we became oh. Nin- Nintendo brand. But yeah, I know what you're thinking. I'm like, uh-oh, what copyright violation. Right, <laughs> right. I thought, yeah, and it's they gave, So they actually gave us permission to use their library of music, which was awesome. And uh, we, we ended up. Uh, getting like every game that came out through Wii U and it was so much fun. So, uh, and then like, gosh, I'm trying to think of notable videos that we did. One, for example, was I, I found an old VHS tape uh, that was me just with the mall battlefield mall Santa. 
and i had like the little uh, you know I was, I was like i think eight years old and i had the little foot from land before time mm. that my mom had just bought me and it was so cute the whole thing was really cute and i was really excited about my i only back then i only saw my dad at well about once a year which i still do see him about once a year mm. and I, I talked about that and i got this idea it's like let's just do this like thing where i still have that that little foot doll what if i just like memorize my questions and responses as a as a child and do it now in like 20 2017 (laughs) (laughs) and uh we we did ask for permission to film and you know and he could tell something was up but he he played along it was really funny and he asked me what i wanted for christmas and just like as charlie said i wanted a vcr and he's like, no, <laughs> you know, all the reply, you know, all the responses are from what an eight year old would have said in the, in the late eighties. And he said, uh, no DVD player. I said, how about a, maybe a VCR DVD combo unit? Like, yeah. <laughs> and it, it was fun. It just like, he, he, he thought it was a blast. You could tell. Right. And so I, I kind of cut them together. Like my responses with 80 Santa and, and current Santa and I, didn't think much of it. Usually that type of stuff doesn't do that great because it's not really based on any sort of I, Disney IP or anything. Right. You know, Mario. <laughs> and it ended up, uh, the news leader ran an article on it. Oh, uh, wow. And um, pretty favorable response. And then nothing happened for about a year, a year or two. And then I got an email from uh Bayer Aspirin like the their marketing agency and they wanted to use that commercial or that that video that I did as a commercial for like things that you can do if you're using their medications like living life to the fullest and I'm like oh my gosh like I could be in a national commercial right and it ends up uh they needed the the Sant Mall Santa's uh okay on, on the the video release. Ah. And I tracked down all the way to the person that hired the Santa and they just would not uh they were not in fact uh not happy that the video existed on YouTube and wanted me to take it down. So wow. Did not come to an understanding but you know it was still right. Fun to do. Ha. Huh. Uh, Man, that's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. So you've actually really seen like really big business uh, response to your content. Yeah. I, uh, huh. you know, for years still uh, have like, a, I have a YouTube rep, you know, uh, I didn't talk, don't talk to him as much, but like on a weekly basis, would almost have meetings of like, huh. but I'll, I'll tell you the bad side about going viral is you have to keep it up and it gets there was a point where I was basically making as much off YouTube as I was my day job, but maybe, maybe if you factor in like insurance and all that, all the benefits, probably, probably still taking a loss, but like, do I want to become a, a contractor for YouTube on a 1099 or 1099 takes out a lot of tax. These are the things I had to think about, but it was getting to that point in my, in ad revenue. Right. Where I thought, like, should I just do this full time instead of having to like work eight hours, go home, work another five hours, go to bed, do it again? Right. 
but I love doing it. I love, you know, and I would take little breaks here and there, but I would pretty much Gary and I would kind of take breaks. Like he would, he would take the load while I took some breaks. And then eventually Gary just like, he's like, I can't do this anymore. It's, it's just affecting my, my personal life. It, you know, our, because our, our YouTube rep put a lot of pressure on us to be like, you have to do content weekly content. Like, Wow. And we, Gary and I actually worked in the same uh, company. And so we were on our lunch breaks is running out to our car and just filming like a movie review real quick in our car, just to, just to have a video out. Like, <laughs> right. And, and I said, like, I, I really care about quality. Like, yeah, I set out to do really, really good quality, like, videos like for example and i think this is the thing that really got nintendo's notice is we spent six months creating a real life mario kart course for uh these two children um johnny Mello is one of our uh team members and mike and gary we, we were more than just two people but he, he had these two amazing children and who loved mario kart and we're like let's just make that a reality for them what's it gonna take and it took a lot of time and effort but it was amazing. It's, it, to this day, it's my favorite video. Huh. And it's things like that that like give me a passion for it. Not running out to my car, trying to do right a review just because YouTube wants me to. Right. So. Yeah, it's interesting. It's um, you know, I certainly don't have near the experience in trying to create media that you do. I've only been podcasting for just at about three years now. Uh, and podcasting is far less involved than <laughs> than making video because it's just sure. editing audio and yeah. uh, and that's it. So anyway, even in that space, though, you know, I've gone to several podcast conferences at this point and, and they, they talk mm-hmm. about the same things you're talking about. You've got to release weekly. It's got to be on the same day. It's got to be at the same time. It's there's all these rules. <laughs> but the truth is, is that the vast majority of the people there that have podcasts are not replacing their income with it. Right. So this, True. this roadmap to success is like <laughs> for who Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's... it's not for the most of them. And the ones that are wildly <sighs> successful aren't, I don't mean all of them. There are certainly people that sure. put out content daily and are, are wildly successful, but like in podcasting, if you look at someone like Joe Rogan, the most downloaded podcast ever for sure, uh, doesn't release on a schedule doesn't release at the same time. Sometimes releases yeah. three episodes in a week and sometimes it's one. Yeah. Episodes could be four hours long. There's no consistency to theme or topic, right? Now I yes. get it. Uh, you can't say that the system of this is built off of the unicorn, which maybe that's what Joe Rogan is. But I guess, I don't know. It's just, it's interesting because you're right. There is this side to, to media content production that's soul sucking frankly yeah. <laughs> yeah and i don't yeah. and i don't know if it's actually right or not and i'm also i also still work a day job so i also am not coming from the mountaintop to now tell people the other way mm-hmm. to do it but i don't know some of it seems um not accurate <laughs> it's it's a double-edged sword i remember when checking on my lunch break we were, we were getting like around 150,000 views per day. And I started to break that down. Like how many people are watching me per minute? Like 2 a.m. Yeah. 2 a.m. 2 a.m. You like, and you can look that up in real time on YouTube to see how many people are watching my channel. At like 2 a.m. It's still like 
80 people like a room imagine a room of 80 people right <laughs> me giving a, a lecture to be like ah and that is this what everything that i do on mike and gary is is out there but it, and it's it is fun for a while but you have to think how do i keep this up how do i it's a lot of diminishing returns as far as like how do i reach as many people out there and it's you know it was fun to have extra money because i never counted on it it was fun 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 money you know and i try and re- reinvest a lot of it back into the youtube channel through props and better video gear uh, but I remember the day where I just was like, I, I cannot keep up this, this schedule. And it was a day, it was like, we're doing like, a. Uh, it turned out to be one of the most popular, the most popular video we ever did. It was a, a Ninja Turtles sketch parody hmm. that we just barely had a script to, but like I we wanted to release the video when the movie came when the new Ninja Turtles movie oh, right. came out, but it had to be like, I had to have it out by a certain time, which meant like I had friends. It was a beautiful Saturday. I had all these friends going to the lake. They invited me. I'm like, I'm sorry. I re- I got to stay home and edit this, this video. And that's what they don't talk about. Like when you go viral is being in the same room all the time on the same computer just staring at Adobe Premiere and I looked out the window and said, Oh my gosh, my grass really needs to be mowed. I <laughs> wish I were, I wish I were at this lake, like with my friends. And I, I just, I'm always working. And I, I just said, screw it. And I just yeah. saved the file and I just went and hung out with my friends and had a great weekend. And you know what? The video came out a week later and it still was our most popular video. It didn't matter. Right. But it, after that, like I started to tell people I would continue to do this until I stopped having fun with it. And I, you know, I definitely still put out content, but I just do it. You know, I started to do more on TikTok and diversify. Um, and a lot of things that I did when I started to do less video content, I started to uh, get involved in uh improv and stand up and start to do things i'm like okay how do i become a better actor i want to take acting classes and so you might not need see as many videos on my youtube channel but i'm i'm still pushing myself in the arts and in telling a story and doing the things i want to do it's just after like eight years you just get bored with it yeah yeah no that makes sense so that's that's actually fascinating so i I knew that you had a background with improv and, and acting a bit, but I thought I just assumed uh, that that predated Mike and Gary, but it does not. Is correct. correct. I had never, I'd almost done nothing in front of like live audience members. Wow. Like, in fact, the only reason I, I was in the video is Mike and Gary is because we just needed people. And I, you know, we always try to have small, as small a crew as possible because he's got to get it out. And, yeah, so I ended up doing it, and it turns out I could at least make some people laugh, and I, I was good at it, and I enjoyed it, and I really wanted to have some classes in it to see what else I could do if I could improve myself, uh, not just like in film production, but actual on-screen presence, and 
I, I think I accomplished that. I love improv now. I have no problem acting like an idiot in front of a whole room of people. But I'll tell you, the first time I did it, when we had our uh, showcase, our first life showcase, it was a little nerve wracking. And I think it's so funny. I'm in front of all these people. And I would say all, all these people, maybe like 30 people in the audience. Sure. And I, I think to myself, I should not be this nervous. I had like uh, 200,000 people a day last week watch me on my YouTube channel. But when you're being recorded, you can always hit hit the stop button and re-record it. Yep. Like, yep. I mean, I, I you know, like I said, I, I've done stand up in, in my past and then started podcasting much later. And I was like, oh, this is way less pressure to do podcasting because I can just hit send. And I, I mean, I can tell if people like it to some extent based on, you know, how many listens it gets or whatever. But yeah. if I if, if right now someone is listening and their face just went completely blank and they're done, I don't have to experience the horror of that. Right. Yes. <laughs> and when you're on stage, you can yeah. see that they're looking at their phone instead of you now. <laughs> I know. And I there's know. A, it, uh, you know, it's. I will say the YouTube thing gave me some thick skin because, you know, there's certain videos that we thought would be great. And just people like thousands, even good video, even videos went viral, thousands, hundreds of thousands of comments of people making fun of every possible thing I could ever imagine about myself. Right. You, you know, and so it gave me at least I, I, I don't have that fear anymore. Yeah. But it's different when there's somebody out there in like, who knows, it could be across the planet. And versus someone that actually lives in Springfield that you might know and you actually say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing and they're just like excuse me like right. you offended me right so yeah yeah so i'm i'm curious that i mean i think that for again i'm i'm going i'm i'm now projecting to others for myself and i would assume other people who have not um accomplished what you've accomplished in that space like to, to see that you've got hundreds of thousands of people watching your content and consuming it and to know that, I mean, cause again, it's not like, you know, you're not a one hit wonder. It's not like you made one video and it did well for years and years. You're like you said, committed to, to putting out this content that's, that's successful. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, we're not like best friends or something, but I know you and I know a lot of other people that know you and everyone's impression of you is the same. And I don't say this to flatter you, but you're pretty grounded easy to going, easy to get along with guy. Like you you don't have an attitude. You don't have a, an ego, or if you do, you, you hide it very well <laughs> when you meet new people. So how, how do you stay grounded? How do you, how did you not let your head swell to the size of a blimp when you've got all of this, all of this attention? Man, I, I need to introduce you to some ex-girlfriends that would disagree with you quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> fair <laughs> <laughs> you know i i'm really hard on myself i don't see myself like as that i never have i honestly i grew up i grew up really poor i, I not a lot of people know that like mm. um i shouldn't i shouldn't say it like that i mean i still had a roof over my head like but my mom struggled i, I grew up in a like a single family household with a mom that struggled constantly to just survive. Like if it wasn't for my grandparents, I, I probably would have had to go live with my dad or something. Um, 
Yeah. I, you know, my mom got cancer when I was like nine and like, like really ter- basically terminal. She survived. It's all good. But like, she had like less than a 20% chance of survival Wow. because it was like breast cancer that had spread to multiple locations in her body. And so during that time, like, I think that's what like that, those memories of like having my grandparents really have to basically take care of me for almost two years when my mom went through like aggressive chemotherapy in the early nineties. Wow. I've always, I'm always that scared little boy. Like, mm. uh, and like the people that helped us out during that time, like the church that we went to helped us out. Like no matter what I do, I don't know that like really even boys and girls club, like really giving us huge discounts. Like I was able to go for basically no money um, and have childcare there. Like uh, there's enough jerks out there. I I don't know. Uh, Yeah. I just like to entertain people. I like to put a smile on people's face, whether that's originally that was behind the camera. And lately it's a lot more in front of the camera. I think that's, you know, I think that's super powerful um, for you to share that though, because I know that I, I, and now I am doing the projecting thing again, but it's true. Like there are people out there who come from, from situations like what you're describing where, and, and I, I understand your trepidation about like, you know, there are levels of, of poverty, right? Like, so I understand your point, but that that's, that's neither here nor there. Um, I think that there are people who grow up in hard circumstances that think that it doesn't ever change. Right. And especially as a kid, because why would you, what do you know different? Um, So I think it's really, really powerful to hear that you had a hard childhood and that you, your mom went through that when you're that age. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine what that would have been like. It, It was hard because not only, and people don't really understand, like it wasn't just, we had really no like my my grandparents helped out when they could, but even after the chemo, like after the cancer, and she had survived. Best case scenario, she was still slapped with a massive med- like massive medical bills. It took her a, over a decade to pay off. She didn't have, she couldn't work a job for those like two years. It was, it was uh you know I. Once I like finally got old enough to have a job, like I, I helped her out where I could, but yeah, it, and you're right. Like poverty is in many different levels and I am, I still consider myself so lucky compared to, you know, like other people I know, but I grew up, I remember I got a Game Boy one Christmas and I just like the happiest moment of my life. Like it, yeah. I could never imagine how she scraped together enough money to like pay for a Game Boy. So she always tried to really, you know, give me certain things here and there um, where I could have them. And I like, but a lot of time it was just, we just did without, or there just was never enough money. There was never enough money for what we needed. Yeah. And I, today is like, everyone calls me cheap or like they, like I'm always. So I'm I'm a I'm a huge saver. I just save money. I just yeah. because I I grew up knowing like not knowing where money was going to come from next. And my mom did a good job really trying to like 
protect me from some of that. I didn't really know how bad off we are till later as I got older. Right. But right. I was like, she did such a good do- good job, like raising me and us. At least having like here and there, just going to Silver Dollar City, even though we couldn't afford it, just doing things that you know were awesome and gave me a good childhood, even though we didn't have the money. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. I. I. I um. Again, I didn't. My parents didn't have a, a terminal illness or or, or or something of that that was that severe. But same kind of thing with my childhood. And when I look back on it, and you know, I was. And I used to argue with my mom when I was a teenager and would get mad and was like the stereotypical annoying white kid (laughs) thing where you (laughs) scream, get out of here, mom. And, you know, all that stuff. I was I was that kid, which is humiliating now. But, you know, whatever. Um, (laughs) But when I think back on my childhood, like, I don't remember any of that. You know what I mean? Like what I I mean, I yes, I know it happened. But when I think of like if someone asked me for a synopsis of my childhood, it's like, man, I grew up with a family that just cared about me you know what i mean like they were just there for me and it just it didn't i just i don't know i it didn't it wasn't until i was in my 30s that i really could appreciate how significant and meaningful that was and how fortunate i was for it um which is what you know led me to try and see what i could do to, to be more involved and and so now i think that's so cool to see someone like yourself that that has this humble beginning, but you managed to get through college, right? You've got a degree there. Not not only that, my mother, she didn't have money to give me for college. This is what she did. She she went and applied, just kept applying for Missouri State to get a job there so I could get 12 free credit hours a year there. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And so between that and Pell Grants, I, I really didn't have to pay a whole lot. Yeah. If anything, so. Yeah, but I think that something like a, like higher education for some people just seems like, it's just not even a an option, you know what I sure, mean? Sure, and and it and it is though, right? And, and I get what you're saying that like you had, you know, your mom continued to help or whatever, so there's still support there. But I yeah. think that that's actually, you know, that's something that I learned from Casa training, um, that I didn't, yeah, I hadn't really thought about a lot before. Is like just having someone there that that believes in you and cares and tries, even if they can't deliver the world if they try, like it matters so much to a person's character, right? Like, yeah, because it gives you, it shows you that the world isn't only scary. And I think it's easy to feel that way because there's a lot of shit out there. That's pretty terrifying. But when you have a support system, I don't know, there's something there that, um, yeah, fights the darkness I, away a little bit. So I've had friends in Casa, for years and like for example um one group of friends i have they would adopt like people who were like like 16 17 years old i I had a hard time like understanding why adopt someone who's who's essentially an adult at this point or young Mm -hmm. adult versus like adopting someone who's like a, a child and what i've come together is it's even even if you're an adult like these people in foster care, like just having a family, like even if you're 20 years old now, even if you're tw- like, if you're 17, that's such a critical age. I think they say that your most uh, influential ages are from like ages 13 to 23. That's kind of like mm. marketing, uh, marketing wise, like they 
that is when you're like coming of age. Mm. By 23, you may change at somewhat, but for the most part, you're kind of like who you are. And and uh, so helping somebody who's like d- during that time, during that coming of age period, showing them that people are innately good, that showing them, hey, you have a safe place, you like we will take care of you. You don't like, you're not going to worry about where your next meal or roof over your head is going to come from. You can go to college if you want, we'll support you. If you don't, that's cool too. Just to have those things really made me understand like, Oh, that's how important it is. Even if it's later in life, like if they're not technically children anymore, what Casa does Yeah, no, I would say probably, you know, they, they, during the training, they show a lot of videos and probably the one that was the most impactful, which that's a strong statement because there's a lot of pretty, uh, tearjerker videos that they show in that training. Um, but probably the one that, that stuck with me the most was they have a guy who was a foster kid at one point and, you know, is here giving this presentation at this point, but he has these three jars and the jars are all equal size and in them is a different amount of balls and he's like each ball represents a week and so he's like so if you have a kid that's 10 years old they've got 520 balls in there right like it's a lot Mm -hmm. of weeks but then as you get closer and closer to someone aging out of that foster system the amount of balls is dramatically less and seeing i mean and obviously that math is not hard to understand but seeing that visual representation of it and it's like when you've got someone that's 17 if they're in a state where they age out at 18 in missouri it's actually 21 um but if, if they age out at 18, like there's 50 or less balls in that jar. And that means there's only that many more opportunities for someone from, you know, CASA or social worker or someone like that to make a positive influence before that yes. person has no support system now. Right. So to your point, that's absolutely true. And that was actually something that I didn't understand either. Um, and had a similar sentiment to you to like, oh, well, it would make the most sense to dedicate your resources to the youngest people because yeah. you can save them early kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, but the people who are closer to aging out, like they don't have any more chances. And to be clear, I'm not advocating that 10 year olds shouldn't also have as much support <laughs> as they can have. Of course they should. Um, yes, but you're, you're right. Like there's a vulnerability to the older kids that I don't think is widely understood um, yeah. in that. But yeah, I don't know. I just, I, you know, I asked you to come on the show uh, several months ago, I think, when I was talking to you one time, just because I think it's so neat the amount of time that you spend. So I want to I want to talk now a, a little bit about the Boys and Girls Club and Club Blue and the work you do with sure. that. But I think it's so cool the work that you're doing to, you know, to make the world a better place is such a generic statement. But it, it really is to like to give someone some hope, right, or to show someone that like sometimes strangers are are nice <laughs> right like someone <laughs> sometimes someone that you don't know yeah isn't out to hurt you and and that yeah. unfortunately that's not always the case so anyway can you talk a bit about club blue and, and how that's affiliated with boys and girls club and what you're doing with them absolutely well as i as i said like before i went to boys and girls club during a pretty tumultuous like rough time in my childhood and they were really like i saw some really great peer like leaders and helpers and you know, I, it was the first time I was really ever involved in sports, <clears throat> and 
and there was like I loved playing Bumper Pool and and yep. they had Mike Tyson's Punch Out there. They had that, and so when uh, this was like right before the pandemic hit, I got and I I had been kept in Springfield for a few months. Brandy Harris, CEO of Boys and Girls Club, messaged me, texted me, and said, "Hey, like we would love for you to um, be." a celebrity judge for our big fundraiser called the mixer, the elixir mixer. And I was like, absolutely. Uh, you know, I said, wait, what, what's the elixir mixer? She's like, Oh, it's, it's essentially, uh, like bars or restaurants donate their time and they'll make you make everybody cocktails and you get to tell everyone which ones you like the best. I'm like, that sounds amazing. <laughs> and, uh, I got there and really talked to, to everyone, a lot of the volunteers at Boys and Girls Club who are putting on the event and getting to know them. And and then one of them said, have, have you heard, would you be interested in like attending a Club Blue meeting? And I'm like, what's Club Blue? And it's like, well, it's the Boys and Girls Club Young Professional Organization. I was like, well, I'm not really like that young anymore. They're like, don't worry about it. <laughs> They're like, just show up. And... It was just forming at that point. I think they had only had like one meeting. It was middle of that, but by the time I got into it, it is April 2020. So it was like we're all in lockdown, meeting through Zoom, and Boys and Girls Club, uh, Club Blue exists to support the Boys and Girls Club, and it's a way to teach young professionals, like introduce them into the nonprofit world. Um, it gives them an experience to be in a committee. I've never really been in committees before. I'm committee chair of the P of PR communications and they kind of, the idea is to give you that real world experience to like go on to like grow up to, I guess not to go on to like Hodo to, to non young professionals, to any sort of organizations uh, out there. Uh, that you you would be, want to be a part of and it gives you those skills to be a part of other boards and and committees and and so yeah it's it's really cool because i ha had no idea how to put on a fundraiser or what's involved in fundraising or working with not like a nonprofit in that function and we have and it was really cool because i got to decide like where our our mixers were to invite more people and do fun stuff. And so we do everything from supporting um, non, like a nonprofit events to, I know we've painted a bathroom uh, for one of the facilities. We've planted uh, flowers and trees, just whatever they need us to do. We're there for that support. And I think that different, different people have different kind of objectives of in club blue of what they're, interested interested in some are more interested in kind of the fundraising aspects others are more they want to get more involved with the kids directly and some i think just wanted to meet people they didn't really know a lot of people in town yeah and it kind of covers all those bases so. right yeah that's a i mean it's it's a it's interesting because it's it's an opportunity to to participate with a nonprofit and help out in that way but to your point it's also a networking opportunity, which, yes. um, you know, it's funny, like I've lived, so I've lived in Springfield my entire life. So have, have a very deep root of friends. So I don't have to go 
I haven't had to go meet new people very much in my life because I, I mean, <laughs> my closest friend I've literally known since I was six years old. You know what I mean? Sure, like, sure. We were roommates for a decade. Like there's just a, a, a comfort level where it's not that I'm not willing to meet new people, but I, it's yeah. just not, I already have people to hang out with if I want to do that. You know what I mean? Um, I, I agree. And I, I also have like, I have friends that I've known since high school that I'm right. like, you know, I really want to make new friends. Like, <laughs> well, and I think you and I are in a similar boat though. You know, now we're in our, you know, as we late thirties, early forties kind of age group, if you don't have children of your own, like if you're not raising a family, it's not that I'm not friends with the people that are doing that, but they just don't have time like they did exactly, to do yes. the stupid stuff that I want to do. So, yes. so it kind of forces me now to, to find ways to meet new people. Yes. Um, and it turns out if you just go to work in an office, which I no longer <laughs> do since the pandemic started, I work, <laughs> but the office sure. is a room in my home. Um, sure. Yeah. Like where do you meet people? So it's, it's cool that it's an opportunity for that as well. Um, that also has the, the very positive angle of being involved with boys and girls club. Um, For sure. So if anyone, you know, is listening, that was, that would be interested in checking out club blue, I guess before I do that, are there club blue, are there similar groups to club blue in other towns that are affiliated with their local boys and girls club? Like, is this a national thing? I, no. I know club blue <laughs> is not national, but I mean, is this idea more widespread? As far as I know, this was a, the brainchild of, of Deedum. This is a local thing. I, I mean, the the name Club Blue does exist out there, but as far as I know, there's like this is the only like young professionals club, you know, organization that supports. Like when we came, like they were still defining what even Club Blue was when I came on to say like what what are we. And right. some, at some points, uh, we sometimes say, "Are we going in the right direction? Are we doing what we we want to do? Should we should we reevaluate things and redefine our you know are we doing align with our mission statements?" And you know, these are all questions that we ask. Yeah, we were born out of a pandemic, uh, and how do you do a social club? You know, a young professional networking club when you don't know if you're going to be able to even put on the event that you've been planning or postpone it. And those are just challenges that we, I guess we all face now. Right. Um, yeah. So. I was thinking about that at, with my, not to talk about my day job at all, and I'm not going to go into the weeds of it at all, but <laughs> just like the way that, that conversations about how things are different in the, because of the pandemic now versus in spring of 2020, when it all started and it was all like, so new and so and not that it's not still scary but mm -hmm. it was like everything was so unknown yes. and now certainly the outcomes of covid can still be very dangerous and unknown so i don't mean to to dampen that at all but as far as like how are we gonna how are we gonna talk if we can't see each other like we've yeah. solved that at this point <laughs> yeah. we're, we're, I, I guess the best way to put this is we're in a very different place than we were yeah, like March 2020, when when I'm staring at the TV and it's just a new cycle of like this is what when I watch horror movies, like, <laughs> this yeah. is this is the news that's always on. Like we've reached that point now. Am yeah. I going to keep my job? Am I going to be laid off? Like all these like right. basic things in life, we've kind of like we're in a I'd say a different place. Overall, yeah. better I'd say. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, again, again, yeah, not trying to get into the the nuances of it. There's plenty of bad, and I don't mean to downplay any of the the terrible things that. I will say this. I've had a lot of friends, uh, you know, friends that are younger, like probably like friends that are like early thirties or something. They're having a hard time just meeting friends. Like they, their peers, you know, you, you do the the life cycle, like you get married, you have kids, you're not going to be open to be a social anymore. And so I have friends are like, they have a hole there. They have a big hole. They're like, what do I do? And I'm like, Hey, come to, come to this, uh, this mixer we're going to have at this brewery and just hang out. They're like, Oh, does it cost money? I'm like, no, just hang out. Like, you know what? Well, I'll tell you about the group. You can meet some friends of mine that are in it. And if it's, you can even come like, you keep showing up. Like, and if it's not for you, it's not for you. Like there's no, we're just trying to like, do good stuff for Springfield and help help like the boys and girls club does so many amazing things for certain like levels of in, like poverty in Springfield. There's so many kids that don't have basic needs met. The boys and girls club goes out of their way to find like, how are we going to do this? Yeah. These kids. And it's amazing. The things that I, the stories I've heard, um, that like the whole room's reduced to tears. Yeah. And these kids are given, you know, I, I luckily like had grandparents and my mom as a certain support system growing up. And cl- like Boys and Girls Club really helped me with my social skill, like meeting other kids and doing like having other teachers there, like push me into like basketball when I didn't want to play, you know. Right. But there's other kids that don't have any support system. Yep. They go, they go to the boys and girls club and they, that's an opportunity to show them, Hey, there's nice people out there that care about you. And that's yeah. why I do it. Like there's no ulterior motives. Yeah. Like, well, like I, like I started to say, um, you know, I, if someone listening was interested in finding more about club blue, should they just Google it? Is there a website you would direct them to? Like, where would you direct people who are interested in Club Blue? Yeah, I mean, I, you go to the Boys and Girls Clubs uh, of Springfield webpage. You could go to, like, literally Club Blue of Springfield Facebook page. Um, and there's plenty of links there. We always post when our, you know, our next social mixers are. Uh, we're not having this. We're kind of doing, we're doing some other stuff this month. But next month we should. I think it's the, I'm terrible at this. I should know this. I think it's the the last week last week of the month. Uh, I'll, we'll just post it. Just sure. <laughs> um, we have a schedule on there, uh, but yeah, it's just Club Blue of Springfield on Facebook on Facebook. Okay, or, cool. Or you can Google it, Club Blue of Springfield. We'll pull right up. So. Yeah, I'll be, I mean, I'll have a link in the show notes so anyone sure. can click directly on it if they wanted to, but. Um... Well, Michael, I, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to, to come on the show this evening. Um, I've had an absolute blast talking with you and, and just really humbled to have you on. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to? Oh, gosh. that's uh, I just want to talk about my buddy Walker and how he he has really stepped up since I met him, become a, a court-appointed uh the cost of volunteer. And I'm really excited to see uh, what he's able to do 
um, with these roles and how many kids he's going to be able to help. Yeah, so. well, you're <laughs> you're very kind. Uh, yeah, I, I you know, like I said earlier, I, I would definitely encourage anyone uh, who doesn't know to look up the court appointed special advocate or CASA program. Yes, uh, yes. they help a lot of kids and and yeah, and, and Boys and Girls Club is is hand in hand right that right there with it right where it's two organizations that are um are working to to make kids lives better and i just don't know how anyone could argue with that so yeah um anyway all right well mike again appreciate your time so much uh thanks a lot for stopping by no problem take care
said For a constant single thread Worrying about our own financial pain Small towns go wet But in Greece coal generates disarray And on Earth's loss much to our display Far from life, and you're beyond what it claims. You're not getting more time, but you can grin at the way the picture turns. But just go with the arrow of time, and you can laugh while the universe burns. That's all for the show today. Thank you so much to Michael for stopping by and sharing his walk of life. I also want to thank Misha Zarens for the music in today's show. And last but not least, thank you, listener, for listening. I also invite you to check out my other shows, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is a video game podcast where we talk about the idea of why gaming matters, or my other show, The Crowfall Podcast, which shares stories and perspectives from the MMO Crowfall. Both of those are available on any podcast app. Thanks again for the listen. Have a great week. Stay up.